Welcome into the latest Trending in Education Extra. On today's episode, Michael Palmer sits down with Lev K. He is the founder and CEO of CredSpark at CredSpark.com. You can check out all their information. Mike and Lev do discuss CredSpark itself, but more so, the crisis of trust and how we're finding true information on the internet, how to reach audiences and how to reach learners as well, and a variety of topics here in this wide-ranging discussion. It's an interesting one and one we hope you enjoy. With no further ado, here's Mike with Lev. Welcome back to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer here uh, with uh, a friend and former colleague of mine, uh, Lev K. Uh, Lev's the CEO and founder of a company called uh, CredSpark. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Lev. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, so uh, maybe we could just kick it off by you giving us a little bit of context around your background. And, uh, you know, we met, it's got to be almost 20 years ago, right? Yeah, or a little less than that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, just by way of quick background, uh, spent the first seven years of my career in uh, technology businesses, uh, did an MBA, and then pretty much post-MBA have been in educational publishing services, educational technology, and uh, about five years ago started CredSpark, designed to bring the power of assessment to the larger world of media, marketing, brands, uh, and kind of foster engagement, which can then uh, not only generate insights for the learner, for the individual, but also for you know the entities trying to guide that individual. Yep. So um, yes, nice to nice to be here. Yeah, likewise. Uh, glad glad to have you. Um, and. Uh, one of the areas we've been tracking, uh, also uh, thank you for listening to the last few shows. So one of the ways in which we, uh, we pick up listenership is we ask our guests uh, to listen to our most recent episodes. So thank you for that, uh, boosting our numbers. But, uh, but one of the things that we've really been thinking about lately is in light of um, the Cambridge Analytica uh, issue that Facebook has been facing, the fact that Mark's, we you know, recently talked about uh, the Zuckerberg hearings. Um, and, uh, you know, you and I were going back and forth earlier today looking at uh, that Edelman report about uh, the trust barometer. So, like, we're, we like those types of things. We're, we're big fans of the Gartner hype cycle. But, yep. now, but now that we know the Gartner hype cycle, uh, there's a whole new instrument to look at called the, the Edelman uh, trust barometer. And not surprisingly, uh, the barometer is dropping. So, uh, you know, individuals are are uh, questioning institutions that they trusted uh, more in the past. And, uh, you know, Facebook right now is very much front and center, but, but it's sort of indicating a larger trend, uh, which is, uh, you know, really questioning institutions, uh, having, having more trouble, like sort of committing your trust uh, to a brand or to, uh, to governments or, or all these sorts of things. Um, Based on your description of CredSpark, it sounds like you're uh, you're aware of these challenges. I've read some of your uh, your writings. As a fellow thought leader, I like to read up on uh, on what, what what other folks like uh, like like us. I'm actually getting a TL tattooed on my chest. Nice, nice, good for you. Not not as we speak for no. our listeners, but uh, but you have a plan to do that. Yes. Um, what are what are your thoughts just around? Um, around the crisis of trust. Uh, do, you, do you agree that we are in that uh, today? And uh, what's, what's, your take, what's your take on that? What does that mean uh, to us as individuals, to us as uh, folks in the learning space? 
uh, any any general thoughts on uh, on the current state of affairs? Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a great point, Mike. I I think that there's so so my business is focused kind of uh, one face towards sort of marketers and media businesses and uh, fostering uh, ways in which they can be. Uh, more edifying to their audiences, mm -hmm. right? And then on the other hand, focused on learning businesses and looking at ways that they can be more engaging and compelling mm -hmm. with a lot of the you know services and experiences that they seek to provide and trying to bridge that gap. And it, it, regarding the crisis of trust, I, I feel like probably on both sides, people have begun to get the sense that maybe to a greater extent than they ever thought before, they're simply means to an end, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, I think most people probably until recently didn't give much thought uh, or concern to Facebook, for example, and what data they were capturing. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, it, it was, it's been blogged about for years, you know, on Facebook, like, you know, if the old saying, you know, or old, at least 10, 15 years old now, um, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a small, percentage of Facebook users have known and thought about that for a long time, but I think now there's some, this more general awareness that's come out that, wait a minute, our uh, clicks, our likes, our, you know, whatever we're doing um, is really just a means for Facebook to provide better targeting data to advertisers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Sure, and, sure. You know, because, uh, you know, it, 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 Zuckerberg's uh, testimony, he he sort of had to smile a little bit when one of the senators said, uh, you know, well, how do you sustain a business without charging your customer? He said, well, we sell advertising. I, I think what he said was, Senator, we sell advertising. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He, he, he used that. He was well coached <laughs> for that. So, um, but, on, but, you know, again, sort of people are now waking up and realizing, okay, so we're really just our clicks and all that are being harvested. We, we're the product and number one, and that may be okay, but then it crosses a line if we start to perceive that we are being um, manipulated, mm -hmm. that, you know, our data and input, et cetera, uh, is being used, uh, you know, for, for ends, you know, around specific interest groups. Sure. And then, you know, on the other hand, if you think about the crisis of trust, uh, in the education space, there's a growing awareness that uh, having a four-year college degree um, may not necessarily be this ticket to economic prosperity for everyone. Right. Whether you're talking about for-profit or traditional higher education, right? right? Right. When you factor in, you know, student debt burdens and, and all these things. So I, I think that, that, you know, as you were talking about the crisis of trust with, with institutions, you know, it, it, it may be that there's something about institutions that when people start perceiving of them as institutions, separate and distinct from uh, groups that they're a part of, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, that that's maybe where the, the erosion of trust starts to occur. I don't know. I'm, I'm philosophizing a little bit. Yeah, well, welcome. Uh, that, <laughs> you've come to the right place. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, just to kind of build on that, too, like, I think there's, there's maybe distrust of the institution, but more trust of individuals that we know. So I think there is, and that's something that I, I've seen in, in whatever literature I've been reading on, on sort of these crises, like people are seeking out um, their peers or credentialed experts uh, who they trust, but who they, they feel some sort of personal connection to. And I think frequently as brands, uh, even in the learning space, um, when presenting as a brand, the trust may not be there. When presenting as a teacher, or uh, someone you're connecting with on a personal level, that's really where the trust is established. 
And uh, it really must be a challenge. I imagine you deal with this on a regular basis to, to almost like personalize or, or humanize the engagement uh, from a brand. Uh, you know, for us, uh, you know, at Kaplan, many times we're trying to build build our brand around the the very personal, authentic relationship with with an instructor. Um, does that make Does that resonate with you? Does Does that Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that what it comes down to is, you know, if people are sharing of themselves, whether it's their data or you know, sharing a learning experience of some kind they need to know what they're getting in return mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, CredSpark's best clients uh, pay a lot of attention to making sure that people who are going through and interacting, taking assessments, quizzes, polls, surveys, et cetera, are getting something back. Right. You know, it could be something as, uh, as intangible and evanescent as a digital badge. Right. Um, it could be uh, something more concrete, say, you know, like you, anything from on one end of the spectrum, just pure cash, like you're sure. getting a gift card for yep. taking some survey to, you know, you're getting access into a group of folks that are going to be, you know, able to attend a certain event sure. or something like that, or you're getting invited to join a program or something. Or, or maybe you're figuring out which Game of Thrones character you are. Exactly. There's right. that. There's, right. there's, there's that, uh, you know, but, but that, that's a great sense of, you know, it, it, oftentimes I'm asked by clients, well, okay, we publish these quizzes, et cetera, you know, why would anyone take them? Mm -hmm. And what's astonished me, I wasn't sure when I started the business that people would right. take these random quizzes, right? Right, right, in such numbers. But I think what we figured out is that when you present an opportunity to, to learn, which is relevant to people, mm -hmm. either relevant to their jobs or relevant to the groups with which they affiliate, sure. um, they're going to avail themselves of that opportunity, particularly if you give them an opportunity to learn about themselves, mm -hmm. to sort of see their interest reflected, you know, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And um, I think we, we both share uh, some thinking around the intersection between learning and media. And, uh, you know, the idea that frequently the way uh, traditional media companies or the way the, the quote unquote industry thinks about media is very different from uh, the way learning companies and educators and sort of the educational establishment thinks about learning and education. I think those of us who sort of sit in that middle space, which I think both you and I do, um, we see a lot of commonalities. Um, I know you, you've, you've written a bit about this. Uh, any, any highlights uh, you'd like to, to, to talk to? One of my favorite moments was when I was speaking on a panel a few years ago at a, a B2B media conference. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, in the room and there's, you know, maybe 70 publishers there. Right. And, you know, I, I planned my line in advance, but I said, you know, I'm looking at a, at a room full of publishers but what I'm actually seeing are dozens and dozens of teachers mm -hmm. and they'd like drew their breath. I mean, I, you know, I think I even saw a tear welling up in someone's eye, you know, because they, they, for, for so long, traditionally the, the, the publishing business has not really thought about sort of individuals or, or how can we, how can we edify them? You know, mm -hmm. what, what can we do for them? They, you know, if just to focus on publishing for a second, you know, as much as great as the disruptions have been in education over the last you know 10 15 years um, you know it's it's worth dwelling what specifically has happened to publishers right so in the consumer media world 
it used to be that they were the only ones with scale. Mm -hmm. You needed, if you wanted to reach millions of people, you had to go through large consumer media outlets yep. until about 2005, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And in the B2B media world, if you wanted to reach these highly select like niche audiences of people in specific jobs and industries and verticals, you kind of had to go through these gatekeepers. Sure. Trade publications, professional associations, et cetera. Yep. What social media did, Google, it, it blew all that up, right? Mm -hmm. with, bill, with scale measured in the billions, what that means is that you can buy individual segments of audiences that are as good or better targeted, you know, targeted than the ones that were formerly, you know, held by the media gatekeepers. Right, right. So, so what, when I talk to these clients, they are all thinking about ways to provide a richer, you know, more community, more edifying experience. And they're, they're starting to wake up to their, their business imperative to really make a difference in people's lives mm -hmm. and, and not just throw a bunch of like web pages at them and monetize the advertising and the, you know, et cetera. That, that, that business model is gone. Yep. So they're investing heavily in events, which to your point, bring people together. They yep. foster this connection, et cetera. So I'm starting to see this in the world of, of, of media for sure. Um, I think marketing is maybe, you know, like brand marketing is probably a little bit behind that, but, but coming on. Yeah. Um, and I just see it as, as inevitable that, um, that there's going to be this focus on the individual, right? Not broad segments mm -hmm. or targets or personas, but individuals. Yeah. And, and so to, to build on that point from the individual's perspective, thinking of the individual as a learner and thinking of the world, uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, is, uh, you know, Bill, I think Bill Campbell's question, uh, are you learning as fast as the world is changing? Like, so the world is changing at, in, at an increasing rate and we all, to remain competent, relevant, engaged, need to learn at a much faster rate than we ever had before. And I think that appetite, uh, particularly in a world with you know, fake news and a crisis of authenticity happening, I think a lot of us are looking inward and trying to figure out how do we, how do we grow and develop ourselves. And I think a lot of that is more through a broader sense of lifelong learning, which is something we do try to talk about on on this show a good amount, uh, which allows us to talk about, you know, Game of Thrones and Black mm -hmm. Panther and other things. But like, to me, a lot of my media experiences that are, sure, they're for entertainment, but I also do think about the majority of my media consumption experiences as opportunities to learn. Um, does, does that make sense to you? Because like, because I think about that, like, I'm listening to podcasts, uh, I like to listen at a variable speed that faster, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like yep. just to, to give me more. And uh, in some ways, it's a golden age as a learner, particularly if you're, uh, you're, you're going in with your eyes open, meaning understanding that many times, if it feels free, it still probably isn't. And you have to be conscious about what you're giving away when you're engaging. But in some ways, it is a golden age of learning. I, I would see it that increasing, right? I mean, like we try to, we try to identify trends. Do you see this? I mean, it sounds like we're at the beginning of a new phase, if I'm hearing you right. I, I think so. You know, I, I, I absolutely think that you have a, 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 an explosion in the range of ways to learn of, uh, of who your teachers are, mm -hmm. et cetera. I think that the folks that have been traditionally in the sort of education industry, if you will, and I don't just mean businesses, I mean, you know, institutions, um, they're getting much more savvy. They're forced to get more savvy about 
uh, unbundling learning opportunities mm -hmm. and uh, and sort of making content you know consumable everywhere, et cetera. I think that's a that's a big part of it. Um, I think that that you know the one of the next frontiers is going to be uh, sort of how do you get around the credentialing wall, right? Right. You know, the, the, one of my, you know, the, the favorite, uh, one of my favorite quotes from Goodwill Hunting is like, you know, congratulations, you, you know, you paid just a hundred plus thousand dollars for uh, education you could have gotten for about 25 in late fees at the library. How do you, right? like, how do you like them apples? Yeah, how do you like them apples? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, but, and then the guy's response, I mean, he's absolutely right, right? Like Matt Damon's character is, is correct there as equally correct as the guy who answers them. But, you know, you'll be pumping my gas in right. because I'm the guy with the degree. Right. And so th this gets into the sort of the, the other side of the, of the trust occasion, right? It's like not only who do learners trust, but then in whom does society trust right. with the ability to be practitioners for sure in any field. Right. right. And, you know, if you, if you read, uh, you know, I've been reading more articles about the increasing, um, uh, growth of uh, of licensure, right? Yep, yep. And and you know these sort of barriers, these like you know barriers to sort of keep uh, professions as guilds and, mm -hmm. and and whatnot. So it's going to be an interesting tension to see how that gets resolved and and how how trust goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I guess the related point around credentialing is uh, you know micro credentialing. I've heard nano credentials are exciting. Uh, I'm interested in pico credentials. <laughs> and uh, whatever the next level beyond a Pico is, but it's like getting super, like, in fact, we should both, we should get credentials for doing this podcast today, I would think, right? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you, maybe Credspark could hook me up or something, but we'll, uh, we'll figure it out. But, but any thoughts on that? Cause I mean, I've seen, I've, I've seen some of what you've written about MOOCs and uh, that trend is one that we've watched. Uh, I think all of us in education have been watching. It's something we've talked about on the show. Feels like, you know, MOOCs as a, a trend that people are watching, maybe a little bit, you know, past its expiration date, but um, where do you see that evolving as far as credentialing and uh, and sort of getting the individual what what she needs uh, on the one hand, and then secondly, like how this relates to job placement. I mean, you're talking about licensure, but also like a lot of credentialing is very much uh, ultimately in service of like career growth and career development. Uh, any thoughts, you know, because we try to trend spot or see, you know, as Gretzky uh, did, we like to see where the puck is going. Any sense, you know, looking at the, the history of MOOCs to micro-credentialing to, let's say, where we are today, is it uh, Pico credentials are on the horizon? Like, like what, 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 do you, what do you see coming up next? Well, I, I see a lot of things pointing to um, basically better, more valid measures mm. of skill and competence, right? So whether you're talking about sort of more thin slicing of areas of knowledge or, or skill, um, you know, that's clearly one thing, right? Like, you know, my MBA is, you know, the same as my friend's MBA, same institution, wildly different skill sets, right? right I mean, right. it gives you no information, basically. Right. Having, right. Have, someone's having an MBA, what that tells you is they paid money mm -hmm. and they probably did a bit of work. And they, they probably know how to hold their own at a happy hour, but, but that's besides the point. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but the fact is like, you know, so, so I think on the, in terms of the skills and knowledge area, there's a demand on the part of employers for sort of like, you know, thinner measures. And I think that, that educational institutions and businesses are starting to respond mm -hmm. by getting more targeted there. Um, but 
also on the other side, um, you know, again, in this realm of better measures, there's been a lot of really interesting work around sort of, you know, um, uh, neuropsychology and figuring out ways to uh, screen people for jobs mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with the traditional, you know, sort of affiliation of people, right? Like, you know, they, they've done all kinds of study on, on how biased in, you know, interviewing is sure. and, and even biased, you know, resume development, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and so a uh, resume scanning rather. So, you know, it's, where I think it's going is, is sort of better measures on the one hand, um, which is being, I think they're being offered up by those that provide education and provide credentialing. I think they're being increasingly sought by those that want to hire folks that have been educated. Mm -hmm. um, and then, oh, I was my train of thought. So go on. No, 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 that's fine. Uh, like just, just sort of related to that, uh, the, the idea of uh, hiring for, aptitude and attitude less so than skills is something that that Brandon and I have talked about a lot where like and also the importance of soft skills and things that are harder to capture in a traditional test or maybe a multiple choice personality inventory might not really get you as an employer what what you need and part of why you do an in-person interview is to try to get a, a read on their sort of just comportment and you know interpersonal skills um, any thoughts about, about that? And, uh, cause, cause like it is in terms of workforce readiness, some, one thing we look at is the future of work and artificial intelligence and, you know, the, the way the world is changing, as I mentioned before, but a lot of what's going to be asked of around humans, um, is more likely going to be around soft skills, critical reasoning, um, these kinds of things. Um, any initial take on that? Yeah, I mean, a, a few years ago, I uh, had a chance to work with some leading um, uh, sort of non-cognitive assessment experts, basically, mm -hmm. you know, uh, psychologists who are really some some global experts in sort of proper measures and, and scientifically valid and reliable measures of soft skills and yep. character and personality, et cetera. Um, and based on that work, um, I, I wrote a blog piece a couple of years ago that I, I still like. I mean, I like all my writing, but, but I, I particularly like this piece, um, which is sort of imagine if think about the potential for a valid and reliable soft skills test to be kind of the new SAT, right? Mm -hmm. So if you'll permit me, what the SAT did many decades ago, in addition to providing a great opportunity for Stanley Kaplan and, yeah. and, his, and his acolytes, um, it, it uh, struck a blow for meritocracy mm -hmm. in the higher education system, yep. right? If you think about it, um, to your point, if a lot of, you know, study after study shows that what employers want are those with really good sort of personality skills, character skills, et cetera, right? And not only employers know this, but, but the science backs it up that this correlates mm -hmm. with people being successful in their own lives, successful contributors to organizations, right? Just think how many untold millions of people out there have these phenomenal soft skills mm -hmm. that if uh, given the opportunity, some sort of meritocratic way to get those skills measured mm -hmm. um, and compared against other folks might turn out to be exactly the right types of employees, employees for organizations mm -hmm. and, and institutions, despite not having you know, the formal credentials that currently are a gating factor to those folks contributing, right? I mean, right. It's the, if you think about what that could potentially do, a, a soft skills uh, SAT. Yeah. 
it could be uh, it could be extraordinary. But I, I want to go back to, to one just, thing just though. Real quick on that yeah. point too, the the ACT is rolling out something now called Tessera, which is exactly what you're talking about. So that is the direction that the ACT is uh, is exploring. I'm sure College Board probably is as well, because um, you know what we're talking about, we're picking up on the tr the greater trends that are out there. So some of what you're talking about is currently, uh, you know, I believe Tessera is actually live now. Uh, for ACT, and I imagine you know similar instruments are probably going to emerge if they're if they're not already in development. Um, you know, I, I know the team that uh, built Tessera very very well uh -huh. actually, yep. and uh, yeah, the, the science behind it is solid and it's great, and I think it's very uh, very promising. And and it and it does it. It gives you. It lets you know which Game of Thrones character. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no. no it doesn't. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe we, that's the next, the next version. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to wait till Buzzfeed. Because uh, yeah, I'm, totally I'm totally an, I'm totally an Aria. But, uh, but that's that's a that's a separate point. That's a separate show. In fact, please continue. Okay. Yeah. The other the other thing, you know, going back to to what some of the challenges are, it, you know, I think there's there's the issue of relevance, right? So if if employers and those on the hiring side have uh, have faced issues of sort of bias or poor measures mm -hmm. of who are the right people to fill which jobs. I think, you know, what, what, what educators have been tackling or need to tackle is relevance, right? Mm -hmm. There's been this sort of, uh, you know, like you can say a lot, many, many bad things about media businesses, right? Mm -hmm. But lack of timeliness is typically not one of those things, yep. right? And so when you compare that to, you know, a lag time of, you know, best case, maybe 18 months, right. when current trends sort of make their way into curricula, sure. um, you know, that sort of shows you what there is to learn on both sides. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, we're, we at Kaplan are involved in the boot camp space, uh, data science boot camps are, are, they're emerging in some ways, you know, the private sector is emerging to respond more quickly to the changing world that you're describing. So like that is, it's very much something, uh, something we're seeing uh, really, really throughout. Um, other trends, uh, you know, we're, we're coming up on time here, like other, uh, other trends that are close to your heart or, or things that you think rele are relevant to, to learning and education, um, you know, open to, uh, open to go anywhere you want to go uh, with our remaining time. Sure. You know, the, the thing which I'm personally very excited about, and we've, we've been doing this with a few clients and there's a ton of demand for it, is uh, leveraging uh, a, uh, an unloved branch of AI, I'll call it, okay. uh, natural language generation, right? Uh -huh. So the sexy stuff in AI is the machine learning, you sure. know, et cetera, which great news is, you know, it's extremely powerful. Sure. Bad news is it's extremely expensive to build. Right. The you other, mean, the other sexy part, depending on who you're talking to is robots, but, but, but we can come back to that. Yeah, yeah we can, yeah. we can, right. Yeah, we can yeah. cover that later at, yeah. the, at the aforementioned happy hour. <laughs> but, um, but natural language generation takes structured data and turns it into language that mm -hmm. humans can understand. Mm -hmm. And what that translates to is personalized guidance at mass scale. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some of the early uh, uses of natural language generation, the Associated Press uh, used to have a small army of editors cranking out uh, quarterly financial stories on U.S. stocks, mm -hmm. you know, which are the most formulaic, you know, writing that there is. They, uh, you know, sort of have since integrated a uh, natural language generation uh, capability such that the data flows in 
and the words flow out. And those editors can go on to more interesting work, investigative journalism, sure. you know, to be those journalists that, that Edelman shows that, that shows us that we're trusting. But where it gets interesting is when you can take data from someone on an assessment, you know, some kind of thing, and in real time bounce that up against a content database of, of uh, possibilities, mm -hmm. ways for them to learn, et cetera, mm -hmm. and deliver like personalized learning, personalized guidance yeah. to millions of people, mm -hmm. uh, just like a friend or a really well-informed colleague was kind of sitting them down and giving them some advice on, or, or a dean or advisor or whatever. Sure. So that it, to me is, is extremely uh, exciting and you know, maybe, uh, maybe we can come back and cover that in more depth in another show. Yeah, that one's, that one's really interesting as well just in one of the one of the themes and maybe maybe we could discuss at a later time uh, let me touch on it briefly now is the same th the notion of where humans fit versus where AI fits and how much of it is uh, either or or both end you know like we've talked on the show in the past about the notion of the centaur where like if you look at uh, you know chess uh, the best human against the best best AI the AI wins but the AI against the best human who can supplement uh, her play with artificial intelligence, the human will win. So uh, that to me is really interesting where like getting out of that sort of um, either or thinking about, you know, our robot overlords will win or humanity will triumph. It's probably gonna be somewhere more, uh, more of a blend. And uh, in some ways the, the soft skills you were talking about almost need to be, uh, part of the story and then I think the other aspect of it is the ability to engage with artificial intelligence and uh, and and other capabilities that are that are non-human um, does that does that ring true to you there's any any thoughts on 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 that interpretation oh absolutely I mean you know back to this example um, you can't you know they, they the AP didn't just feed the data into a machine and then have the machine turn up right humans had to design the structure the you know what, what did that look like what are you know what are important points etc so humans absolutely needed to be involved in that centaur right and, and I think you know it despite this so much hype and you know if I read another story about how Elon Musk thinks that, you know, he's terrified of AI and whatever, yeah. you know, you talk to the folks that I you sort of dig a little deeper, folks are saying that really study AI all day long, they're not convinced that there's going to be a sort of a general intelligence yes. uh, replacement for humans. Yes within many decades, if right, ever. Right. So I think you're absolutely right about the, the centaur approach and people just need to, you know, back to the hype cycle, there's also the fear cycle, right? Sure. People need to like get over some of the fear and yeah. start to really, once you have these use cases out there, realize this is where the, the value can really be created. Yeah, and you know, and we're just wrapping up here, but like in some ways uh, it does tie to the crisis of trust too, because I think, uh, you know, AI is the other and it's going to displace our jobs and the fear that you're describing, you know, it's, it's sort of this thing that's going to impinge on my autonomy and my agency. And uh, in some ways we need to, we need to introduce new ways to frame the conversation to, to get people to engage, but they still have to trust that their worlds will be better because of artificial intelligence and that they have a role in a workplace of the future where intelligent agents are, are more and more part of, 
of our lives. It's going to be a long time before we see a robot that could do as good a tieback and a summary of the theme of the show as you just did, Mike Palmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although we're designing it. We're designing it. It's in progress. Awesome. Uh, the, the Palmer, Palmer Bot 5000 uh, <laughs> is in development. Uh, Lev, thank you. Uh, thank Thanks, you very Mike. much for joining. That's going to do it for this episode of Trending in Education and Extra this week. As Mike spoke to Lev K, founder and CEO of CredSpark. Again, you can find them at CredSpark.com if you so choose. If you choose to leave a comment or a rating over on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, tune in. We would love you for it. So head on over, five-star rating, leave a comment about what you like about the show, what you'd like to hear more of. And of course, follow us on Facebook at Trending in Ed, at Trending in Ed on Twitter. And it's TrendingInEd.com or TrendingInEducation.com. Check out all of those properties and let us know what you like and what we could be doing better right here on the education podcast that is coming to you every Tuesday morning, Trending in Education. 